Workers' Comp Matters, the podcast dedicated to the laws, the landmark cases, and the people that make up the diverse world of workers' compensation. Here are your hosts, Judd and Alan Pierce. Hello, welcome to another edition at Legal Talk Network and Workers' Comp Matters. My name is Judd Pierce. I'm an attorney at Pierce Pierce and Napolitano in Salem, Massachusetts, and we're bringing you another edition of Workers' Comp Matters with today's guest, John Israel of the Wright Law Firm in Jacksonville, Florida. John became a lawyer for all the right reasons. He loves helping hardworking individuals take on the establishment and become successful in their workers' comp matters. John attended the University of Michigan and then attended the University of Florida, where he obtained his JD degree, and he was admitted to the Florida Bar in 1995. He's very active in the North Florida legal community and the community at large. And when he's not at work, he loves following the Jaguars, the Michigan Wolverines, and the Gators, um, which up here in Massachusetts, I don't quite uh, <laughs> know, know very well about, but I definitely know the appreciation for local college and professional sports. So we're grateful to have you on today, John. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So I wanted to get right into it because um, workers' compensation is a bit of a niche practice and uh, in the general field of law. Your concentration among other things, is representing injured athletes, professional athletes. And that's a niche within a niche, right? So let's just start off by isolating maybe what are some of the unique challenges to representing professional athletes, such as NFL players. All right. So if we, we take a step back for a second and we think about the purpose of workers' compensation, workers' compensation essentially was, was put into place so that the businesses where people's work at they're responsible for the risk when people get injured. They're responsible for making sure people can essentially pay their bills, get their medical care taken care of. Because 100 years ago, when most of the states started implementing workers' compensation, most people didn't have any uh, ability to obtain private health insurance, much less afford going to physician if there was any issue. And so for many, many years, right, workers' comp is out there taking care of people. And now we have sports leagues where instead of somebody making, you know, $750 an hour or $15 an hour, you might have someone making $15 million getting injured. And that creates a whole different set of issues because if you're talking about, you know, for example, a, a highly regarded offensive lineman or a quarterback, they're going to have issues and concerns about their health that are above and beyond getting a light duty return to work slip, making sure their biweekly benefit checks are coming in. Uh, we're potentially talking about making sure we get to the right surgeon to make sure that the rotator cuff injury is handled by the best in the United States, not just somebody that the insurance company says, hey, this is a guy in town we can send you to. So one of the issues is just ensuring that the care is there for that particular person. But representing people with, with money, and I'm going to put that in terms of athletes, because generally speaking, we don't see many physicians, for example, filing workers' compensation claims. It's rare to see attorneys file workers' compensation claims. And so it's very rare to see someone with significant assets or income with a claim. Well, this becomes an issue, for example, in the Florida workers' compensation system, where the prevailing party is entitled to recover costs for either the prosecution or the defense of the claim. And so for most of our clients, right, if I represent someone at Walmart and they're a stocker and they're making $400 a week, 
if God forbid we go to trial and we lose because the judge you know, doesn't agree with us or agrees with the defense's experts, it's pretty rare for, and I'm not trying to pick on Walmart, but it's pretty rare for Walmart to then file a motion to tax costs against a person making three, $400 a week, because candidly, it's going to cost them more to pay their lawyers to get a piece of paper where they'll never get any money back. But if you're talking about someone who's making a million or two or $4 million a year, clearly that person can satisfy a cost judgment. And so there needs to be a little bit more discussion with them about, do we pursue this claim? And if we do pursue this claim, what happens if we're not successful? Another issue is just a deposition, right? If someone's scheduling a deposition of one of my clients, it happens in almost every case. We don't, we don't think about it. We, we prepare for it in the context of workers' comp, but they're pretty basic. They follow the same practices. You know, we're not so worried about information coming out or uh, maybe salacious information coming out because, candidly, my client's not a you know, high public interest person. But when you're dealing with an athlete, you also have to worry about, you know, what questions are they going to be asked? How are they going to answer them? And is information going to come out that is discoverable, but not really relevant to the workers' compensation claim? So those, those are some of just the, the, the differences in representing somebody at that level as opposed to people with limited resources. I, I will tell you, the nice thing is, though, that usually, right, and the experience I've had is that they have other avenues to getting care, right? They all have health insurance. Um, so if there is a dispute, and for example, in Florida, if the insurer decides to provide coverage for something, chances are my client who's an athlete who's got health insurance is going to be able to get treatment. Whereas if I represent somebody without health insurance and something gets denied through workers' compensation, then they just have to sit and wait for that to play out. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of unique challenges that you brought up, uh, Jonathan, about representing the professional athlete. Uh, I wanted to take it back for a second to where the, the person is injured and whether or not it's dictated that if they're injured in Florida, that it must be a Florida claim, or if they're injured uh, on an away game, that it must be at the away venue. How do you uh, deal with the jurisdictional issues uh, when it comes to professional athlete claims? So in the state of Florida, uh, the general rule is if you get injured in the state of Florida, Florida is going to have jurisdiction, or at least they will say that they have jurisdiction, and you can file a claim in Florida. Occasionally, we have um, trucking companies, for example, will have their clients sign paperwork that says they agree, for example, that Nebraska law will apply. But uniformly, Florida courts, the appellate courts have all said, if you get injured in the state of Florida as a state, we have an interest. There's enough context there so you can apply the Florida workers' compensation law. So that would cover not only right the, the local guys who get injured in Florida, but if somebody's in town from another state and they're playing, let's say, the Jaguars, let's just say the Patriots, for example, and a person gets injured in Jacksonville, they're going to be able to, if they want, to file a claim in Florida. States such as Florida also recognize that some employers are considered traveling employees. And normally when I consider a traveling employee, it'd be a truck driver, maybe a salesman, but athletes also fall under that category, right? Half the time they're not in Florida, they're somewhere else for their claim. And so in that situation, Florida would also consider it to be a Florida case if, for example, the, the last act necessary to secure the employment took place in Florida. Well, typically the last act necessary is signing the contract, which usually takes place in Florida. Now, there are some states that have much broader jurisdictional pull, 
for example, and I don't hold myself out as an expert in California law, but it has come up in the context of the NFL. California has more, I believe, of a um, like a repetitive trauma almost way to look at things. And so if, for example, a person has a traumatic injury to their shoulder, but they could obtain testimony that it's just repeatedly getting injured, for example, as an offensive lineman, I think every play is cumulative trauma, then California will say that they might have jurisdiction over that claim. And so sometimes what happens is I wind up getting in touch with lawyers in different cities because we want to figure out which venue is the best venue for the claimant in that particular case. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. the different states provide different benefits, different burdens of proof. Unfortunately, Florida is not a great place for injured workers. Right. Um, Have you practiced in other states? And is the professional athlete comp system a state or a federal matter? So I haven't practiced in any other states for workers' compensation. I handle Longshore Defense Base Act claims, so I've had to litigate claims in other cities, but you're essentially looking at a federal law that is roughly the same everywhere. There's some splits in the circuits regarding some small aspects of the law, but generally speaking, the statute is the statute. Mm -hmm. Uh, But for professional athletes, it's going to be a state-by-state. And interestingly enough, Florida itself, the legislature, has exempted professional athletes Uh, for employers requiring them to have workers' comp insurance. But I believe most of the professional sports leagues, the collective bargaining agreement, requires the teams to maintain workers' comp coverage. And in Florida, if an employer, even if they're not required to maintain workers' comp coverage, if they do choose that route, they get the added benefit of tort immunity. And so if, God forbid, something happens on the field or in the training room or anywhere, where the player might otherwise be inclined to sue the employer in negligence. They can't do that with certain limited exceptions, though, uh, in Florida because they've elected uh, workers' compensation coverage. Yeah, and that was certainly some of the trade-offs that were uh, made, you know, 100 years ago when, when comp systems developed around the country was the immunity factor, and that was the, the give back, so to speak, for allowing a workers' compensation system to, to be. You mentioned the, the the amount of money that some of these professional athletes do make. We all hear about it if we follow sports even uh, very, very irregularly. We, we, we know that they're entertainers in a way. They're, they're professional athletes. They do make a lot of money because a lot of people follow it. But there aren't all athletes in the professional sports arena that make as much money as those that make the news. Can you tell us a little bit about the differences between players, practice squad versus, you know, full-time contract players? Right, so I haven't represented any practice squad players. I'm generally familiar because I'm just a big sports fan. And so the practice squad players are getting a mm-hmm. lot less. I, I want to say, I thought I read somewhere recently that it might have been somewhere between eleven dollars or $15,000 a week that they're on the practice squad. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I can speak, for example, for the NFL, the players get paid essentially a check for each of the game weeks in the regular season, right? We've gone, it used to be 16 weeks. Now we've gone to 17 weeks. And so they're getting 17 checks, right? So if you imagine a player is making $17 million a year, they're literally getting 17, $1 million checks, presumably direct deposit, less taxes. And that's all they get paid. At the lower end, you may be looking at two, three, four, 500,000. It's still a lot more than, you know, the average worker at a, as a CNA, a waitress, uh, you know, we are normally seeing or traditionally seeing people working, making on an annualized basis, I'd say about 90% of our clients, somewhere between 20 and $50,000 a year. 
white collar individuals can typically earn more than that, but they're also in jobs that you typically don't find lifting heavy things to injure their back. And so one of the issues we find is when a professional athlete gets injured, they may still be able to do something and make what most of us would consider a significant amount of money, right? So for example, if you were making $15 million a year, but now all of a sudden, because of your injury, you're now a former player instead of a current player, but maybe you're now working, doing work for ESPN and you're hosting a show or, or co- um, commenting on games. So now maybe your wages have gone down to, I don't know, 300,000. I'm making a number. Well, normally we'd sit there and say, well, someone's making $300,000 probably haven't suffered a loss of earning capacity, right? They haven't suffered a loss of income. But in the workers' compensation system, especially if they're not fully yet recovered, not at maximum medical improvement for their injuries, uh, in Florida, we have a formula where essentially if you're not making 80% of your pre-injury wages, then you're entitled to 80% of the difference between what you were making before and now. I hope I said that right. It's 80% of the difference between 80% of what you were earning and any income that you can earn now. So it does make those calculations a little bit easier though for professional athletes, because if you were earning two, three, four, five million dollars a year, there is no job realistically, uh, unless you're the lead broadcaster on one of the major networks that's going to be paying you that much. So mm-hmm. while they're recovering, it's been my experience, unfortunately, that the teams don't just say, yes, we owe you this money. Uh, they always seem to act surprised when we say, hey, I think you owe him some money because he's not earning what he used to earn before. Mm -hmm. So I've never understood why they wouldn't just pay that because in the course of their operations, it's such a small amount of money, but I don't represent the team. So uh, you'd have to have a different guest on a podcast to probably answer that question. Well, all right. Well, before we move on, we're going to take a quick break for a message from our sponsors and we'll be right back with John Israel and workers' compensation and professional athletes. We'll be right back. Be the best resource you can for your Spanish-speaking clients with the Spanish Group's Legal Translation Service. Experienced translators ensure accurate translation of your documents with same-day delivery. Confidentiality is ensured, and the Spanish Group guarantees acceptance for certified translations. All that, and their rates are competitive. If you need other languages, the Spanish Group translates in over 140 languages. Mention Legal Talk 20 when you request your quote for 20% off your first translation. Visit thespanishgroup.org. Mara's Case is the number one law practice management solution tailor-made for workers' compensation firms. Streamline your practice with Mara's Case's easy-to-use all-in-one platform. You're empowered to breeze through case and document management, workers' compensation forms, e-filing, calendaring, and invoicing. Learn how Mara's Case can increase your firm's efficiency today. Visit mariscase.com. That's M-E-R-U-S-C-A-S-E dot com. Hey, Guy, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Guy, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. Order up. There's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather-bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's J.D. McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you! I bet you he has got so many years of experience. Like decades and decades. And I bet, Guy, I bet he even went to a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Guy and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network. Available wherever podcasts are found. 
And we're back. Uh, we left off with our special guest, John Israel, and discussions regarding representing professional athletes, football players, kind of focusing on the individual problems that might come up in Florida. But I, I want to focus for a little bit on issues that might come up with picking or choosing someone to be your doctor and whether or not there's a conflict between what the team might want for the injured player and what the injured player might want to do to elect his or her, you know, own medical professional. Can you tell us a little bit about the choice of doctor and provider? Yeah, so, and I'm going to f- focus mostly, let's say, on, on the Jaguars, use them as an example. But most professional teams, when you're sp- certainly at the major league level, they have a, a physician staff that, they are, that they're affiliated with, right? Typically, the team doesn't have its own orthopedic surgeon that's on staff and only working for the team, but it's somebody who's in private practice but who takes care of all the orthopedic injuries, for example, for the team. In the state of Florida, the employer has 100% control over authorizing medical treatment. There's no law that prohibits a person from spending their own money and getting treatment or using their private health insurance if they can get it covered. But the employer gets to say through their insurance company, you're going to see Dr. X. Dr. X is authorized to treat you. The issue in the workers' compensation claim in Florida also is that the law limits the types or categories of people who can offer medical testimony on the claim, and that's going to be limited to authorized treating physicians, which are selected by the employer or the insurance carrier in these cases, or an independent medical exam. Uh, Each side is entitled to one per claim for the entire claim, unless you meet certain exceptions, or if there's a conflict between medical providers, then the court on its own motion or upon suggestion from either party, can appoint what's called an expert medical advisor. So you get an issue not only with where does a person go for treatment, but if they do decide to go outside what the team suggests for them, whether or not that could even come into evidence in any subsequent workers' compensation claim that's going on. But I will say, and, and, and it's been a long time since I read George Orwell's Animal Farm. It was probably back in middle school or high school. But I think I remember a line in there that says, um, all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than other animals. And I I think we can say that that applies to the athlete as well. Uh, The third string cornerback is probably going to get treatment through the team provided physicians. There's not going to be any issues. That person is not going to have a lot of leverage to say, I'd really prefer to see Dr. X. If you get to the star quarterback, for example, I haven't represented anybody, so I don't want to anybody start guessing which Jacksonville quarterback I've represented, that wasn't the situation. But if you got to that situation and mm-hmm. the individual developed a rotator cuff problem or an elbow problem, you know, chances are they're saying, look, these doctors in Jacksonville are great. And I can tell you the doctors at Jacksonville Orthopedic Institute uh, and Southeast Orthopedic Specialists in Jacksonville who are typically authorized to treat these players are fantastic. Myself and my family have been treated orthopedically by both practices. I've got nothing against them. But If you're that guy who really needs his shoulder taken care of, his elbow taken care of, you might go see the guy like Dr. James Andrews, who's famous for, I think, the Tommy John surgery. I hope I haven't confused doctors and surgeries. But the team is more likely to work with you in that Mm -hmm. scenario because they also might say to themselves, hey, we've got this huge asset. We're not really thinking about this from a workers' comp perspective. We're thinking we may owe this guy $100 million dollars. You know, we want the best doctor to take a look at him. We want the best doctor to take care of him. Ironically, those, you know, a lot of my clients will say, and I'm not talking about the athletes. I'm just talking about your, your typical hardworking client. 
they get very frustrated because there's the perception that because the employer is picking the doctor, that the doctor is for the employer. Every doctor I know will say that's untrue. We treat the patient. Uh, I will tell you that there are some doctors who always seem to think a patient isn't hurt, right? Some doctors who always think that if they are hurt, it's not related to the accident they suffered. But even if my client gets authorized to see the best doctors, there's a feeling in the back of their mind that, that these guys aren't really trying to help them. And sometimes you see the same thing with the athletes, where the concern is that maybe the medical professional is pushing them to get back on the field right. a little bit earlier than that they are capable of doing. Yeah, I mean, we. I'm a huge Red Sox fan. I'm up in Boston. and Sorry to hear that this year. <laughs> yeah, it's been a tough one for all of us in 2022 up here. But, you know, in the 80s, there was this wonderful uh, player, the second baseman, I remember his name was Marty Barrett. Marty Barrett had a really bad orthopedic injury. And there was a dispute because the Red Sox had on staff their own team physician. I think his name was Dr. Pappas. And Dr. Pappas uh, wanted to do surgery or wanted to treat Marty. And Marty wanted his own doctor to evaluate him independently because there's always that tension. Is the team's person going to do surgery on me? Maybe I can, you know, recuperate without having surgery, but it'll take longer. But the team wants to get me back sooner. Um, so there's, do you see that tension arise? A, a little bit. You know, I, I think it's certainly better now than it was 20 years ago. Uh, I've been practicing since 95. And I know just the stories you hear about, you know, guys going into the locker room and, you know, I got a problem with my, my leg. I, I don't think I can walk on it. And then get two shots and you're back on the field and then you find out they're out for the season because they were playing on a you know broken leg. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that's gotten a lot better. I, I think teams do tend to look at players as more of a long-term investment now as opposed yep. to you know just two years, three years and, and, and we turn. Uh, but definitely there is the perception of I would like to see somebody independently. Uh, but candidly, I think that applies to all of us. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I'm a right. partner in my firm and uh, I'm exempt from workers' comp. But if I was in the workers' comp system and I did get hurt and the insurance company sent me to Dr. X, instinctively in the back of my mind, I might say, I know Dr. X. I've taken Dr. X's deposition 30 times. I don't want to see Dr. X. You know, I want to <laughs> see my doctor who I've mm -hmm. seen for the last 15 years for other orthopedic injuries, uh, who knows me, who's already got a history of me, who knows how I respond to medication, who knows how I respond to different forms of treatment. Uh, and, right. and so there is a tension. But that being said, at the end of the day, the team really does want the player to get back. Uh, the players, for the most Healthy. part, that's what they do. You know, these aren't guys who just graduated college and decided to pick up football. Right. These are guys that this is what they've done every you know, Saturday or Sunday since they've been seven years old. And a lot of guys you know, just enjoy it. It's a way to make a living. But yet this is who they define themselves. And at some point they're going to play their last game. At some point, they've put on their last, you know, shoulder pads. They've come out of the tunnel for the last time. And for most guys, they want to push that time off as, as long as possible. You know, get me on the field. I love this game. What's your favorite sports movie, John? Slapshot. Good answer. I can answer that in two seconds <laughs> or less. <laughs> Followed closely by Semi-Pro with Will Farrell. Oh, yeah. Semi-pro is really good, too. That was when he was in Florida, right? Playing at the... Uh, the well, he was in... Uh, the basketball? Yeah, but or, I think it was Flint, if I remember correctly. Now, I hope I don't mess it up. The Flint Tropics. Oh, the Flint uh, so Tropics. That's probably that's why right. you thought they were in Florida because of the Tropics name. But <laughs> no, they were, they were in Michigan. 
And uh, it's I laugh at all Will Ferrell movies. So you give me Will Ferrell, you give me basketball, you give me the ABA and the NBA merger. It's it's magic. But Paul Newman and Slapshot, the Hanson brothers. I can yeah. watch it anytime, anytime. <laughs> just, just just watch it. What about you? What's your favorite sports movie? My favorite sports movie is Bull Durham. You know, I'm 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 a baseball freak, and I love watching it. And uh, I never played it beyond like age 14, but uh, just as a just as a avid watcher and observer of baseball. It's it's really close between Bull Durham and Field of Dreams. Field of Dreams for the more, you know, sensitive side of me, and Bull right. Durham for the more crazy, wacky side of me, so. Not a major league fan? Or you like major, major league, league also? Distant, distant, like maybe bottom 10 of all the sports movies I've seen. Okay. Uh, I like it, but, you know, it's all right. <laughs> and I hope I'm not offending, like, a lot of people on this podcast who absolutely adore major league. Yes, keep watching it. <laughs> Charlie Sheen is great. Corbin Burnson. Uh, but how about the getting back to law, which yes. is something that's <laughs> so important to this program. How about the difference between getting comp, but also receiving your pay, your salary? And is there is there a limit? Is there an offset? Can you tell us a little bit about how that interaction works for the most part? Sure. So while a player is recovering or, or even a worker is recovering, from an injury, they're considered to be in a temporary disability status in Florida up until the point of maximum medical improvement, which is defined at the point at which further or lasting improvement isn't reasonably expected to occur, right? So during the recovery process, if the person is in a no work status completely, they're entitled to two thirds of their average weekly wage, the, typically the average of the 13 weeks before they got injured, up to a statutory cap, which generally increases each year. Now, if they're in a temporary partial disability status, meaning they have some work limitations, for example, don't lift more than 20 pounds, you know, don't, don't walk more than you know, mm -hmm. 20 feet at a time, whatever it is, then the formula, I kind of alluded to it earlier, you take the average weekly wage, you multiply it by 80%, then you subtract any earnings they have from that, and then the person gets 80% of the difference subject to that same maximum compensation rate. Um, so for most athletes, right. especially the professional players, they get some salary continuation. They're still getting paid while they're yeah. injured during the season. So they generally aren't entitled to temporary partial disability benefits. Occasionally, you'll have someone who's got continuing complaints. You know, maybe they're now no longer in the league because of the injury. And they're still, let's say, having a second surgery or a third surgery. They're, they're cleaning up something in the knee post league employment, right? So now right. they're in their next job, whether it's working for a sports network, whether they're, you know, selling or maybe insurance. totally out of work. Yeah, correct. So if they're totally out of work, um, then they're just getting paid 80% of 80%, which would be roughly 64% subject to that cap. Well, that can be, that's not a lot of money for someone who's used to making even, let's say $5 million a year. You know, the cap is less than, I believe, $1,000 a week. And so it's So they money. can't get over that, right? Yeah, correct. Correct. So there, there is no way on temporary benefits, no matter how much money you earn, that you can earn above or get receive, excuse me, above a certain amount of benefits. So for the retired athlete, what oftentimes is, is from an evidentiary standpoint is you've got to then capture all their income streams post-accident to figure out what their actual earnings are. Are they getting paid to be a spokesperson for someone? Mm -hmm. Do they, mm -hmm. and are they getting independent contractor wages for appearing on a radio show or, or 
radio broadcast? Are they getting paid, you know, W-2 wages because they're working for a different employer? And then putting that all together and trying to figure out what exactly is the loss of earnings. Are they entitled to the temporary partial disability benefits? Let me ask you, are they ever considered seasonal employees, thus reducing their average weekly wage because they only play, you know, six months out of the year? So... I haven't really seen that because generally speaking, what we do is we take their wages and Mm -hmm. and we typically divide it by 52 because I just assume that they're going to be considered a seasonal employee, right? Right. So in Florida, there's a calculation that says if your employment is seasonal, you take the wages, but you divide it by 52. Whereas if it's not seasonal, you use the 13 weeks prior to the accident. Well, you know, in one respect that that might help a person, right? You get injured week one. um, I guess they get paid, I think, a little bit during like a per diem during training camp and and prior to the season starting. But if let's say they haven't earned a check from the team because you haven't played week one, you got injured in practice, then then maybe if you looked at the 13 weeks, they really wouldn't have any wages. For most of the players, even if they're making, let's say, 300, 400,000, which for the major leagues is going to be roughly the minimums they're going to be even at the minimum so far above the maximum yeah. rate for compensation that it, it doesn't make that much of a difference uh, right. depending on how you calculate it. So I haven't had to argue that yet, mm-hmm. uh, but that's absolutely a great point as to whether they'd be considered a seasonal employee or not. Which begs the question, by the way, is if, if you have, let's say, the USFL and they're playing in the summer and then the player then plays for the NFL in the fall, you know, if from a just purely you know, legal argument standpoint, is that person then no longer a seasonal employee because he's obtaining full-time employment playing that sport, doing that occupation during the course of the year, as opposed to somebody who's only playing, let's say the 17 or I guess technically 20, 20 weeks, if you're lucky enough, like the Patriots are to make the playoffs every year and, and keep going. For, for Jaguars fans, unfortunately, we're dealing with uh, 17 weeks, and that's typically been it since 2017, unfortunately. Yeah, well... Think things are changing for the Patriots and uh, all Boston sports teams, <laughs> and it's not going to be like it was the last, uh, say, two decades. Unfortunately, you've where, had a uh, good run. You can't we did. complain. We enjoyed it. Yeah, we don't. Uh, we would never trade that in. But uh, boy, I'm going to miss seeing playoff games uh, up here. <laughs> but you are a fantastic guest. You're with the right law firm. I want to get everyone to notice that who's listening to this. They're acronym is right. So don't go wrong. Go to right if you have an injury, even if you're not a professional athlete. I'm sure they'll help you out. Can you tell us a little bit about your firm and where, where folks can contact you, Jonathan, if they need you? Sure, sure. So we, we originally started out as Rudolph, Israel, and Ellis, which was R-I-E Law, which was fantastic. Uh, and then we, we were friends with an individual, Zach Tucker, uh, who's a great guy. And Zach said, I'm looking for a place to be. And we said, we're looking for another person. We said, that's great. Uh, but we've got to come up with a, a way to make this work from an advertising perspective, candidly. And R-I-E-T just didn't make a lot of sense. Uh, so we went to our partner, Jason Ellis, and we said, look, Jason, we love you. Uh, but for purpose of advertising, for just it flowing off the tongue easily, we've got to be R-I-T-E. <laughs> uh, whether it's the right way to handle your case or, or even during the pandemic, we provided our clients with masks, with the branded masks, and we sent them letters mm-hmm. saying, you know, this is the right way to stay safe. Uh, That's right. It's just good for advertising. Uh, poor Jason felt like he might have gotten demoted a little bit. <laughs> He's um, now the last letter. Yeah. But I think, you know, the, I would 
talk about what I guess I used to refer to as the Washington Senators, which is, you know, first in your heart and, and last in the American League. And so he might be last in terms of the name, but, but he's first in all of our hearts. We love Jason. So that our, our, our website is uh, R-I-T-E, the number four, then justice.com. So rightforjustice.com. You can send emails to us directly there. My email is my last name, Israel, at rightforjustice.com. We can also be reached by phone, 904-500-R-I-T-E. Well, thank you again, Jonathan. You've been excellent, um, very entertaining, and, and different area of the workers' comp uh, practice uh, that we're all sort of accustomed to. And, and I note that you, you don't only do comp, right? You've, you've told me that you do state comp. You also do Longshore Defense Base Act cases. You do Social Security disability claims. So you're sort of a, a jack-of-all-trades and uh, utility infielder. Uh, if we want to use the sports analogies. <laughs> thanks, thanks. I'd, I'd rather be the cleanup hitter, but but I'll take the okay. uh, utility infielder. That works fine <laughs> as well. It, it's all good. Maybe the dual threat, maybe more like a Deion Sanders dual threat baseball football kind Bo of Bo Jackson. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But, but Bo is, as a Florida grad, I, I probably shouldn't have picked Deion, uh, but picking <laughs> Bo from Auburn doesn't make it any less painful. So we, oh, I've got to think right. of a Florida grad that played two sports. And unfortunately, I can't off the top of my head. And remember, if people want to visit uh, Jacksonville, uh, you, you might not just want to go to a Jags game. You might want to go and see a college football spectacular, which happens every October, the last week of October. Uh, uh, and it's a game between, you said, Jonathan, Florida and Georgia, right? Yes, and, and absolutely. And that is like a fantastic opportunity for people who love sports, love football, to go and, and catch a game. It is just a spectacle. Uh, I think the, it has the unofficial nickname of the uh, world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Uh, wow. The stadium is divided 50-50. Uh, half the tickets go to Georgia. Half the tickets go to Florida. Uh, it's a great rivalry. The RVs come rolling into Jacksonville starting in Wednesday before the game. <laughs> it's a huge event. Um, I, 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 I love my Jaguars, but nothing beats Florida-Georgia. Uh, in Jacksonville in October. Mm. Georgia's going to be great this year. I hope Florida gives them a run for their yeah, money. Yeah, I hope it's competitive. Uh, there have been a lot of upsets over the years, so I'll root for an upset this year. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's two great teams, two great fan bases, two storied SEC teams. It's just a lot of fun. Uh, college football is just fantastic. I know it's not quite as big in Massachusetts. I, I no, know unfortunately not. Unfortunately, isn't making the... Uh, the football bowl championship series anytime <laughs> soon uh, boston college we, not since flutie really have we had anything good yeah well thank you once again thank all our listeners for tuning in to another edition of workers comp matters and remember go out and make it a day that matters we'll see you back real soon goodbye